Max, um, was a, your family came from Belarus as refugees, correct? Yeah, so a generation ago? This generation, his first language is actually Russian as a, uh, a Belarus refugee. And so he's going to read the text for us this morning in Russian, if you would all stand. And then he'll read it for us in English. And again, if you're bilingual, we want to invite you to come talk to myself or Alexis or Joshua. We would love to get a rotation of bilingual speakers in different languages reading the scriptures. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. The king was born for all of the world. Max. So I'll read in Russian first and then English. От пророка Захарии, 9 глава, 12 стих. Возвращайтесь на твердиню, вы, пленники надеющиеся, что теперь возвещаю, воздам тебе вдвойне. От Евангелия от Луки, 2 глава, 29 стих. Ныне отпускаешь раба твоего, владыка, по слову твоему с миром, ибо видели очи мои спасение твое, которое ты уготовил перед лицом всех народов, свет просвещению язычников и славу народа твоего Израиля. From Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 12. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. From the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, you guys can applaud that. Let's pray. Holy Father, ruling King, gracious Spirit, because you embodied yourself in flesh, because you were born as a human, we now are set free from our prisons of guilt and shame and depression and anxiety. I pray in earnest this morning that this Christmas season would be a season of transformation for each of these souls that you've brought war-torn and worn out, wounded in so many ways because of our own sin and because of sin against us, because of the brokenness of this world, we remember today the birth of the Son of God, our Savior, our King, our living hope. I pray today that you would redirect and reorient where each of these souls have placed their hope and that we would look back on the mind-blowing truths of the incarnation, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, and that we would look forward in accord with his promises to his coming again when his reign will be established upon all the earth. May this be our hope and nothing less. Today, leave not a single soul untouched, inspired, comforted, corrected. Be near us as we draw near you in the teaching of the texts, in the listening to your word, in humility. Fill us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So I can still fill this in my body as if it was yesterday, even though it was 36 years ago. 1986, there was this B-movie, not known by hardly anybody, about BMX bikers. It was a movie called Rad. How many of you saw Rad? Most of you weren't even born by then? Good. Jonathan's got my back. Yes. Wes, good for you guys. Rad. I'm telling you, we rented it from Blockbuster on VHS, and I sat there as a 10-year-old rewinding that movie and watching every scene utterly inspired by these BMX trick riders. They were able to do such incredible things on these bikes, and it set my heart aflame with hope. And it set me on a course of trying to persuade my parents that it was time for me to get rid of my 1986 banana seat bike with the oversized gorilla handlebars and the rusty blue paint. And instead, I needed to have one of these BMX trick bikes with the white BMX handles and the pegs on the front because this bike was my hope. It would open up for me a world of wheelies, wheelies and, and endos and homemade ramps and, and a thousand other injury prone possibilities that my banana bike couldn't even get me close to. And so somewhere around early October, I began the verbal assault on my parents to begin to persuade them that I needed this bike for Christmas, and it was indeed the only thing that I wanted. And so as Christmas Eve approached, my hope grew. And as it grew, I discovered that the bike actually existed in reality in my hometown at Rick's Hardware, down on the corner. <laughs> Rick's Ace Hardware, down on the corner of Utah and 3rd. There I was. I would be coming home. I probably discovered this bike somewhere around November. I would be walking home from school, and I would look into this window, and there was the bike before me, this lime green Freedom 2 BMX trick bike with the white handlebars and the, and the handlebar brakes and the pegs on the front. It was everything that I I could ever want. And every day, this hope to have this bike would take me the long way home. So I would just sit there and long for this bike and sit before this window aching for this bike. So Christmas Eve rolls around. And for some reason that year, Santa Claus was super, super late in the deliveries. And I got up through the night probably 50 times, literally 50 times. Every 10 minutes, I would get up and I would walk out to look under the tree and despair. The bike was not there. And I'd go back to bed, hope rising, and I'd go back out to the tree, despair. And I'm telling you, I can feel this in my body right now, even as I'm telling this story. That visceral sense of, is it there? Did I get it? Is my hope alive? It's not there. And as hope began to ebb, so did the purpose of my life, until around 4.30 in the morning. 4.30 in the morning, I arose for the 5,000th time, and I walked out, and I'm not kidding, I heard an angelic chorus break loose behind me, and there in the light of the tree was the lime green Freedom 2 trick bike. And I'm telling you guys, I still bear the scars of what that bike gave me, and I can feel viscerally what that bike did for me, the fulfillment of hope and that desperate sense of despair, hopes that have gone unmet the uncertainty of not getting what you most long for. I want you guys to understand something about hope as we enter in here to the season of Advent and this first theme of the Christmas season, hope. Hope is more than just an abstract or an intangible emotion in the human experience. Hope we're discovering literally changes our physical makeup. 
Jerome Groupman, he's a neuroscientist, he writes in The Anatomy of Hope that researchers are learning that a change in mindset has the power to alter our neurochemistry. Belief and expectation, the key elements of hope, can block pain by releasing the brain's endorphins and something called enkephalones, and this mimics the effect of morphine. In some cases... Jerome writes, hope can also have important effects on our fundamental physiological processes like breathing or respiration, circulation, and motor function. And so as we enter into the Advent season here at Neighbors, this is a time where the Christian community, all the Christian community for millennia, has purposefully stilled itself, quieted ourselves. For the four preceding Sundays approaching Christmas morning, for the purpose of meditating on the rich theology and the history and the truths of the incarnation of God into this world. And the first of these four themes is hope, this sense of need and expectation and longing met. Christmas, friends, is about the crushing weight of despair in this world, healed and made whole by a hope that is beyond our wildest imaginations. Now, the prophet Zechariah, from whom Max read this morning, Zechariah was speaking into a cultural milieu very, very much like ours. Let me set up the scene for us. The prophet of Israel, or the people of Israel, excuse me, had come through the other side of this cataclysmic social and political tragedy at the time of Zechariah. Due to the people's sin and their rebellion, God had disciplined them by taking them into captivity under the Babylonian Empire. All that they thought their future held was unraveled and undone within the span of a five-year period. All their self-assured sense of, I've got my life under control and this is the direction I'm going, all their certainty in the span of a short four or five years as the Babylonians came in and took over, it was all blown over like a house of cards in a hurricane. We actually have glimpses into the people's pain from the Psalms in their time of captivity. We read in Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And we said, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? The people of God were literally imprisoned to their pain. Their circumstances were completely out of their control. All of their future plans had been utterly destroyed. Their spiritual, religious, and social center had been deconstructed, physically deconstructed to its foundations. The Babylonians had burned the temple to ashes, and yet God continued to be merciful and eventually delivered, as he promised, the people of God from Babylon. He released them from their captivity, and slowly the Jewish people had been regathering in their homeland and beginning to rebuild their lives. They were beginning to rebuild their homes and their cities. They were beginning to rebuild their social fabric, and they were beginning to rebuild their faith and their worship of Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, through a new temple to replace the one that the Babylonians had destroyed. But... As Zechariah and his contemporary, another prophet named Haggai, were trying to encourage the people of God to rebuild, to start over, back in their homeland after this devastating experience of Babylonian captivity, the people were exhausted and they were terrified because of what they had experienced. And most of them had lost hope. They were in despair. 
And so into their despair, the prophet came and he promised them, he commanded them, return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. The people were beat down and bedraggled. And yet Zechariah came and he promised into their exhaustion hope for their worn down souls. He promised them that what they had lost, what they had gone through, would be restored twofold overs. And maybe three weeks ago when I was meditating on this passage, it just gripped me. He called them prisoners of hope. Prisoners of hope. And so Zechariah was operating as a faithful and a true prophet. And he was shepherding God's people out of their prisons of pain and out of their prisons of disorientation. What Zechariah was doing was he was giving hope to souls that had been pushed into that black abyss of despair. And Zechariah's hope was based not on necessarily their circumstances changing immediately, but on the faithfulness of God himself. Zechariah's message of hope was based on the character of a covenant-keeping, that's a promise-keeping God who had told his people, though you will go through it, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Now, centuries later, the text that Max read for us from Luke, after millennia of waiting and longing for final deliverance from the pain of this world and the sufferings of this life, looking for this Messiah, this final deliverer who would finally come, the greatest hope that Israel had longed for, in the very temple that the people of Zechariah had rebuilt, there's this man named Simeon. And Simeon would actually see with his very eyes and hold in his hands the embodiment of hope for the world finally fulfilled. I'll reread the text. It's so beautiful. Luke 2, 25 to 32. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. This man knew that he was going to see the embodiment and the fulfillment of all of the world's hope. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Interesting Greek construction here. It could be translated, you have freed your servant from the prison to walk in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. As Simeon took up the baby Jesus in his arms, the creature held the creator and he was beholding the ultimate embodiment of life-changing, universe-altering hope. God had promised and fulfilled everything that was necessary for the salvation not only of the nation of Israel, but for all of humanity, the truest hope that all of us in this room right now, whether you know it or not, are looking for is your salvation, your security, a sense of safety. God had entered our world to do for us what we could not do ourselves, to free us from our captivity to guilt, to shame, to fear, to pain, to anxiety, to uncertainty. Friends, this Christmas, the historical reality of God becoming a human, it imprisons you and I to hope. As Christians, we truly are 
prisoners of hope and no less. My wife and I, we've been spending some time on our prayer walk surveying the last five years of our life or so and how it parallels with the people of Israel in the time of Zechariah. Ever since leaving our home in Seattle, there's been so many parallels to the journeys of God's people and their seasons of disorientation and a sense of captivity. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, despair has loomed large more than a few times over these past five years. When we left Seattle, we were uprooting from a community where we had spent a decade shaping relationships and mission in our church. Our children, we raised them in Seattle. It was their home. Seattle was our social and spiritual center. Everything was rooted there. And so at age 40, right when a man should be settling into his long stride at the height of what he's built through his 30s, we left absolutely everything and we started completely over, financially, relationally, socially, in a brand new city with a brand new community. And our journey over these short five years, well, it's been a lot. I buried my grandmother last year. Alexis lost her grandmother and her father over this last year. In the last five years, we have seen the meltdown of our political structure and the democratic systems that we've relied on. We've watched the ripping pain of social and racial injustices that have always been there. They're just erupting now on our Facebook and our Instagram feeds. We continually watch this string of inexplicable evil murders and public shootings that are in our headlines even this morning. Global war, nuclear threats renewed, impossible inflation and looming collapse of our financial systems. And we spent over a year literally imprisoned in our homes due to an uncontrollable plague without toilet paper. It was a crisis. <laughs> it was a crisis. And yet, here we are. My wife and I, our three babies who aren't babies anymore, alive, trusting, and just like our ancient Hebrew brothers and sisters, after the captivity, we are, my wife and I are realizing, we're beginning to like rebuild. We feel that sense of like there is, there's a rebuilding happening. All of us are in this place. Most of us right now are just now realizing the degree of rubble that the past few years have produced in our lives. And some of us are overwhelmed at the prospect of building again. Why? Because dreaming feels just a little bit too vulnerable. Planning, it's like COVID, just like a hurricane blew over our house of cards of control. And here's our stability and everything's going to be great. And this is the direction I'm going. And now I'm locked up in captivity in my home due to this plague. And so when we begin to plan, we kind of find a twitch in our eye like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can plan for this next year. What's actually going to happen? And if we're honest, hope feels terribly dangerous. Hope has felt so terribly dangerous to me over this last year. Thinking about the future, wondering what could be, wondering what might be, beginning to dream again, and it feels so utterly vulnerable. Our wariness collectively, our anxiety, the low-grade exhaustion, for some of us, the cynicism and the social uncertainties, listen, you need to hear this. It's justified. 
You have to think about what your soul has watched and seen and endured over these past years and not neglect the fact that it is seriously traumatic stuff that our society has endured. The house of cards has been blown over and we have been put into, in some cases, literal captivity. We have to consider for a moment and really not just distract ourselves from the waves of wounding that we watch every day across our news feeds. And when we add to that the daily pains of living in a broken world, family pain, marital strife, loneliness, career uncertainty, unmet expectations, our own personal sins, our own personal failings, California traffic, whatever it may be, when we add it all up, the way that we feel here in this moment as we begin to talk about hope, a little bit uncertainly, a little bit vulnerably is justified. But at Christmas, we Christians, we slow down, we take a good long look at the birth of Jesus into this world, and we remember that we are not imprisoned to our pain, or imprisoned to our uncertainty, or imprisoned to our guilt or our shame. We are prisoners of hope. With Simeon, we hold Jesus close to our hearts, and we rebuild our lives on the truth that the Son of God has been born, and the Son of God is coming again. This is the foundation of our reality. And so, friends, Christian hope is not some vague possibility that may or may not happen out there in the world. Christian hope is built on these past realities that are unchanging and future certainties that are more real than you and I sitting in this room right now. Christian hope, looking back, looks at the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection of a man who claimed to be God among us, and we base all of our hope on his literal, physical, and historical reality because it is unchanging. No matter how much despair we feel, Christ has come, Christ has lived, Christ has died, and Christ lives now. And so at Christmas, we remember that God entered your wounded world. God entered our wounded world and was wounded to death to heal us. And nothing will ever change that. The confusion and the conflict in this world, it was conquered. It was crushed two millennia ago by the snake crusher. His birth was the beginning. It was the inauguration of a new creation among you and me and the church he was the firstborn among many sons and daughters, and we are on our way to inheriting all of the universe for eternity. And our worth, your worth, is not based on what you may get in this life. Your worth is felt because of what he paid for us. We're going to be walking through Target through December, and some of the richest theological hymns that have ever been written are going to be playing over the speakers. The question is, will we have ears to hear? Long lay the world in sin and error, pining till he appeared, and my soul felt its worth, a thrill of hope. This weary soul rejoices. Yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Hear the angel voices, O night divine. O night, when my king was born. And so we look back and we are buttressed by hope because of the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection. And we are bulwarked as we look forward to our future because the original Latin meaning of Advent, when we say it is the Advent season, we are saying it is the season of coming, expectation. It is the season of anticipation and arrival. Advent is the literal Latin term for arrival, for the arrival of a dignitary, the arrival, the coming of a great king. 
And so we look forward to this future certainty because he who was born and lived and died and resurrected promised before his ascension that he would come again and he would establish his reign for all of eternity over all of the universe. Christian hope, your hope today, if you are an apprentice of Jesus, your hope is based on a future kingdom and it works like a rope that just tethers us and pulls us through our present pain with peace and with joy. I've been reading a little more broadly in what have been called the spirituals, the African-American community. And our African-American brothers and sisters out of the horrific context of slavery, they produce some of the richest songs. Some of the depths of theology around deliverance were produced by those communities, not not because their present circumstances were marked by liberty and dignity, but because they knew their futures were to be fully liberated and forever dignified. And of course it was the great Martin Luther King Jr. in maybe one of the most important famous speeches ever given in the Western Hemisphere that inspired and catalyzed the transformation of a nation. Luther was always, Luther King Jr. was always basing the present pain. He was tethering his people to a hope that would drag them through the present pain. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. Dear friends, as the families gather, as the ham is cooked, as the lights are hung, slow down. Please stop. Please please stop scrolling. Please stop distracting. Please take a deep breath and look back to the reality that God became a human for you. He lived the life that you absolutely could not live, and he died your death out of infinite love. And that love is pursuing you this Christmas season, no matter what circumstances you're facing, and that is your hope. And then, with all the great saints of God, from slaves to the highest rulers of the planet, all of us, all the saints of God have gone before us, believing that one day all wrongs will be made totally right, that he has caught every tear you have ever shed in a bottle and that he has heard and answered every prayer that you have ever prayed according to his will. And so between looking back and the future, Christian hope believes in this present moment today, right here, now, Christian hope believes that God is working all things for our good. We believe that it is a good that is beyond our wildest imaginations And we believe that nothing will ever be able to take that ultimate good from us. And so as we close this morning, let's get very practical. I just want to pastorally encourage you, give you your three-step sermons to your best life now thing. Here we go. Three steps, three things that I don't want you to miss this Christmas. Do this with your families. Do this in your early morning times alone. Discern, depend, and determine. How do you build hope this Christmas season? Discern, depend, and determine. Number one, discern. What I have discovered is that most of our struggles, mine especially, as an affluent and comfortable Westerner, is because I have false hopes. My hopes are misaligned. 
I place my hopes in things that are fickle. I place my hopes in things that are futile. And here's the thing. We have to discern where our deepest hope is. As Christians, the sanctification or transformation process in following Jesus, we are learning to live out of the hopes that go deep down beneath the surface into our bones. How do we do that? The psalmist gives us a sort of way to do this. The psalmist did this by literally pastoring himself. Psalm 42, verse 11. The psalmist says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? He's talking to himself here. Why are you so disturbed within me? Why are you on the edge of the abyss of despair, Dan? As I sit there with my journal and my Bible and my cup of coffee at six o'clock in the morning. Why are you so disturbed, O oh soul? Why are you so scared? Why are you so beat down? Why are you so bedraggled and more torn and worn out? Oh, it's because the last five years have been a lot, but there's something else in there that you need to discover. What is going on? Discern, discern, discern. And so take time, Christians, this Christmas to ask yourself deeply, why am I so bothered? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so depressed? Why am I so uncertain? And what is truly driving these things? And what you'll discover, what I've discovered, is that in many, many instances, not all of them, but in most instances, our hope has been misaligned or misplaced. For me, I've placed my hope in money or in my strategies or in my ability to control the universe. That's a pretty futile hope, just so you know. <laughs> when I get deep down into the bones of the structure of my hope, I find myself saying, you know, God, if you would just grant my prayer the way I've asked it right now, because I do know how to order the cosmos perfectly, then everything would be great. That's a futile hope. It's a futile hope. I have found myself placing all my hope that this person or this relationship would finally see how wrong they are and how right I am, and all would be well. I found myself hoping in the opinions and the applause of fickle humans. You get the idea. Each of us this morning, all because of the, what Augustine called the malady of sin, the sickness, the deforming, the, the, the twisting of our desires and the disordering of our desires and hopes, we all will be placing our hopes in something meaningless this morning apart from the resurrection and apart from the return of Jesus. And you know what? Our souls aren't dumb. Our souls know that we misalign our hope. You want to know what anxiety is and what depression is? It is a loud siren in your body with your soul saying, hope misaligned. Hope in the wrong place. Trusting, trying, doing whatever you can to control the universe. Your soul is like, you can't do that. And, and we break. We break under it. And so, I know I've said this a hundred times in the sermon, Please slow down this Christmas. Let this Christmas be the Christmas where you stop in the aisle at Target and you listen to the hymns of old and you weep. And then you turn to the person next to you and you're like, are you hearing this? Do you know what this means? Depend. Number one, discern. Number two, depend. As we discern where our deepest hopes are, our anxieties lead us. Our, our depression, our loneliness, our fears, our uncertainties, those are like shepherds that lead us through a pathway of discovering where our false hopes are. Just meditate on what I just said. I promise you it will make sense if you'll go down that road. But as you discern, learn to depend on all of the unchanging and powerful hopes of Christianity that I've laid out here this morning. 
with the psalmist, you discern by talking to yourself, and then you pastor yourself. Psalm 42, verse 11. Here's what the psalmist said to himself. Why are you so down? You've been placing your hope in false places. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And so we learn to depend on Jesus's incarnation and resurrection as the foundation of our hope. We learn in the midst of our circumstances and the universe that we cannot control to remember that he came to heal every circumstance and every person in our lives and that we are of such value to him that he died for us to have all of us as his own. And this is where we settle our souls. As we discern, we figure out, man, I've had my hope in being a righteous and a moral person, but I just keep failing. And so you learn to depend on Jesus's perfect life and his death in your place. Or we discern where we've been placing our hope in wealth or power or fame. And we settle our soul in the fact that today, obscure and unknown, above the poverty level, certainly, I am an adopted child of God because of Jesus. That's my hope. And as I look forward, as we look forward, we learn to depend and we preach to ourselves these truths that the king who is sovereign and faithful and good and His intentions are wise. He is coming again. And so I will put my hope in that and I will labor towards that and I will live out of that future hope in my present pain. Discern, depend, and then finally determine and we'll take communion this morning. I want to say this pastorally and I want to say this gently and I want to say this firmly. This Christmas season, in our over-therapized, it's not your fault culture, Determine right now that no matter what is happening, you will put and keep your hope in Jesus alone. Determine in the depths of your being that no matter what is happening, no matter what comes this year or what doesn't come this year, no matter how you're feeling right now or how you're not feeling, no matter what is given to you or not given to you, whether you still got to ride that banana seat, blue rusty bike with the oversized gorilla handlebars, or you get the BMX bike, no matter what, determine in your heart that you will worship God based on what he has done in the past, that historical reality, and based on what he has promised in your future. The ultimate example of this is Job. Job lost absolutely everything, his health, his wealth, his family. The man was destitute, and he had every reason to dive headlong into the black abyss of despair. Even his own wife said, you know what? God is out to get you. Curse him and die. And you know what Job said? Job looked to his future. Job determined in his heart, I will hold on to hope. He said in Job 19, I know that my Redeemer lives. There's something beyond this mess. There's something outside of this experience that I'm in right now. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. And so in that hope, Job determined one thing. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. The last three to five years have been a slaying of our sense of control, of the social fabric of our society. For some of us, you you come here this morning and it feels like your emotional structures are just slain. You so, so long to be freed 
All of us long to be freed from that sense of the anxiety that we just cannot control, the depression that seems to just press us down, the thoughts that just come and won't leave us alone. This Christmas, take time and let those things guide you deeply into your bones. Where is your hope structure? Because if it is in anything less than the incarnation and resurrection of Jesus and his ultimate return, your soul will continue to cry and labor for truth. If your identity is built on anything other than you are his adopted child and your worth is rooted in his death for you, your soul will continue to cry. It will continue to cry. But let it take you to the depths of tears and longing my soul with Job how my heart yearns within me. And even if my flesh is destroyed, I know my Redeemer lives and I, I will hope in him. I will hope in him. Discern, depend, and determine this Christmas season. Open your ears. Listen, open your eyes and see. I am praying for myself that we would truly be delivered. That the rubble that surrounds our souls and surrounds our lives, that we would look at it and that this morning there would be an inkling of hope. That there would be a sense that my God is inviting me to begin to rebuild. That it's, it's time. It's time. There's no, more, there's no more looking back at what happened to me and there's no more worrying about the future. This Christmas, I want to begin to rebuild my life on the resurrection and the power and the coming of Jesus. I want to live for his glory this, this Christmas season, I want to overcome these things that have been plaguing me and move into my next season of transformation, my next season of growth. This Christmas season, the Son of God has been born. The Son of God has lived for you. The Son of God has died for you. And the Son of God is coming again. You, my friend, are a prisoner of hope.